Good morning. How are you? I just want to say to you, you've got the sweetest spirit in the whole world. And I just really believe this morning, heaven's smiling on you. Do I know you? What's your name? Piper. Piper. You've got a beautiful spirit. Sweet, sweet, sweet spirit. And I just believe all of heaven right this morning just smiles on you. You're a blessing. God bless you. God bless you. And it's great to see Phil, the master guitarist. Master guitarist, master tradesman, best husband, best father. We love you, mate. I'm so pleased to see you up there. I'm going to preach, otherwise I'm going to cry. You can be seated. Thanks. It's so nice to be here this morning for Marilyn and I to get to visit City Church. I just want to congratulate Ben and Amy and Tim and Ellie and Steve and Felicity and Dan and Rachel for just doing such a great job in this church. You can just tell, you know, as you stand there this morning and worship, just how strong it is. And, you know, when you get to visit a lot of churches like we have the privilege of doing, and you walk into a church, you can tell straight away whether it's healthy, whether everything's, and it's nothing to do with size, it's nothing to do with numbers or the skill or the unskilled level, it's the spirit of a place. And the spirit of this house is so strong and so congratulations to the board and the elders and all the team. They've just done a fantastic job. And the reports that Ben gives us and the way the church is going forward, so many ways, financially, is always a good indication of a healthy church. And it's just so good. So congratulations to all of you. You're in the best church in the world. And uh, that's how you've got to look at it. Well, I think there's going to a little picture come up on the screen, I think, behind me. But um, yesterday, Marilyn and I had a massive... Um, over, moving overseas garage sale. There it is. And I put this big sign down on, on uh, the highway and Gus told me I need a DA for that. But I didn't bother. I thought, well, I'm leaving town, so that I'll just blame, I'll blame someone else for that sign. But um, so we had, a, we had a good garage, got $950 from just from all our junk. But just this whole week, we've had people coming to our house. We had a pastor come to our house and say, I'll buy everything in your house. So he bought the toaster, the kettle, uh, everything. He said, I bought a home for homeless people, and I want to furnish it. So our furniture is going into a, homeless, a home for the homeless in Parramatta. So we were excited about that. So we are proud owners now of just two vehicles, a, a sewing machine, a overlocker, a rainbow vacuum cleaner that I paid $2,000 for in a really weak moment someone got me, and, uh, and a piano. That's all we own in the world. We don't have anything else, and our clothes. So it's a really nice feeling to, to declutter. So I recommend decluttering. And, uh, but the funny thing about all of this is we don't actually have our visas to the US yet. Um, but it's a given. And I've been talk, we've been talking to the lawyers, and it's a huge process to, to go through. The paperwork is enormous. And, uh, but it's, it's underway, and we talk to New York regularly, so we're on our way. I just don't know when. Uh, but if not, and uh, if we finish up staying here, we'll buy a mobile home and just drive around Australia preaching everywhere we can go. Yeah. It's nice to be free. 
So we are free. Uh, and it's great to sell everything. I haven't got, I don't even have a pair of pliers anymore. I've sold everything that I, it's great. It's a not nice feeling. I think there's another photograph coming up too of our family, which um, we just got to do this recently in July, just around before Hillsong, the day before Hillsong. The first time we've ever had a family shot. And that's the church, the greatest church I'll ever pastor is right there. Uh, that's my church. That's the church I pastor. And uh, we love our kids. And so our American grandkids and our Australian grandkids all got together. And it was just a fun day at Taronga Zoo. And we just laughed and had fun and went back to Bondi and Junction and had ice creams together and just laughed and told stories about each other. And it, it was just the best. And there's nothing like family. And so I love our family, we're blessed, Mal and I are blessed to pastor such great kids and grandkids and, and, and I just thank God every day for, our, for the journey that we're on because it's a great journey yeah. and we feel like we're just getting started. So it's so good. So thank God for family, right? Yeah. Thank God for your family and, and for your children and don't underestimate the potential. Never put unrealistic expectations on your children, just love them. And just pray that they'll be the very best they can be. They don't have to be geniuses. They've just got to be the best that they can be for Jesus. And you just set the example by bringing them to the house. My, both of our girls love the house of God because from the time they were born, we brought them to church. They slept under church seats. They slept in restaurants on sheepskins. Uh, they, were, they were just part of our family. And uh, so for them, not being in church... And I've had text messages from Emma and Jamie this morning. I've actually had text messages from a lot of people. The Joneses are in Kayama after a wedding. They've sent their apologies. And so it's really nice to feel loved. Uh, and uh, so we are glad to be here this morning. It's so good. I was just thinking about my good friend Ray Andrews. And we have so much banter between each other. We do it regularly. He's a Manchester United supporter. And I'm a Liverpool supporter since 1972. And uh, they're not doing so well this year. So we have all this banter to each other. But I just love the fact that we can have long-term friends. Well, I've known Ray and Kat since 1981, and we're just so long-term friends. And I know he was here recently. He's just such a great leader in the kingdom, and we're blessed to have that kind of accountability in our life. And we, again, just want to thank you for your generosity. You've been supporting us financially this past little while. And it's been great because we've been able to continue to support our four compassion children, our World Vision child, our person in a Waitoto that Ma and I support. And so none of our giving was cut back. We were able to keep giving and uh, keep supporting the people we love and the ministries we love. So I want to thank you. Both of us just love you and thank you for your support. It means a lot to us. It's really helped us a lot. It's been a blessing. We've been to some great churches. Went to a church in Henty recently. Uh, that they bought a hospital and they have a church in there and it was just a, a fantastic church, just a huge church in the country. And two weeks ago we were in Mark Zare's church in Newcastle and I just looked at his church and looked around, he's got a debt-free building, his church is packed. They've just started a second building program, raised another 300000 to build a second auditorium, a chapel. And I just look at the church and it's just so healthy and it's good to see what God is doing. So... Psalm 23. In all my years of preaching, 48 years I worked it out since I first preached my very first sermon in the Toka Fiji in 1970, I, uh, I have never preached on Psalm 23. 
uh, and I'm going to preach on Psalm 23. I'm going to teach on Psalm 23 this morning. It's such a powerful psalm, and I think it's a, a psalm that a heap of people would be familiar with. Even unchurched people would be familiar with Psalm 23 because many a time Psalm 23 is read at a funeral, or, and, and it's, a, it's a psalm that just really comforts. It's a psalm that brings strength and comfort to people that are hurting, and so a lot of people are familiar with it. But however, in saying all of that, you know, it's, it's, it's such a wonderful psalm for, and sadly, unchurched people don't realize it's a psalm for them. It's, it's a psalm of comfort, it's a calm of strength, and they just don't know how much God loves them. And we have a responsibility to tell them. So I'm going to go through this, uh, this psalm line by line. And I'm going to use two translations. I'm going to use the NIV, and I'm going to use my favorite translation, the Passion Translation, and just bring out the real truth of this psalm. So in, in the NIV, in the first line it says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't know if you really fully appreciate the concept of that line and what it means to all of us. But the word most commonly used for shepherd is taken from the root Hebrew word raha, which is R-A-A-H, which is also the Hebrew word for best friend. So this translation includes both meanings. So with this in mind, let me read to you that line, the Lord is my shepherd, from the Passion Translation, and it reads like this. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. That, that's such a good thought, that God is our best friend. A lot of people, even a lot of Christians, don't really believe that the Lord is their best friend. You know, he's our savior, yes. He's our shepherd, yes. But he's our best friend. And he's our best friend in any circumstance. He's our best friend in any situation. He's our best friend whether we love God or not. He's our best friend. He is our best friend. The non-Christian, the unchurched person does not know God as their best friend. Most people think that God is mad, that God is angry, that God is upset, that God's not happy. God is totally pleased because he sent his son and his, and his son said, it is finished once for all. The sacrifice was made for sin once for all. So God, the sacrifice for sin was paid once for all. And every human is loved by God. And God can be and wants to be their best friend. But let me say to you this morning and to you watching online, those who are driving their wives to the airport and those that are sitting on the beach and those who are renovating houses and whatever you're doing, you get to listen to this message. Let me tell you this morning that God is your best friend. He is your best friend. Don't ever question it and don't ever think for a moment that somehow God is upset because he's not. He is your best friend. You know, and the problem is, that the world just doesn't know it. The unchurched is not, they don't believe they've got such a wrong concept of God. 
They don't know God as you and I know God. They don't understand God as we understand him. I was thinking about, you know, a wedding. You get an invitation to a wedding. And most times we RSVP that invitation. And we say, yes, we'll go to the wedding because we've been invited. And the reason we attend the wedding is because we are invited. I want to encourage you this morning to be sending out invitations to church. We need to be active in inviting people and giving invitations to people to come to church. Just ask them. Just invite them. You don't have to say to them what it's going to be like. You just trust God that when they enter into a place like this, that the presence of God will so impact their life that you don't need to apologize for Ben. <laughs> you don't have to say, well, this might happen. And you know how we, we, we kind of feel like we, we, we're, we feel like we have to apologize somehow. We, well, this might happen and we might do this and this might, and this might be said. Listen, when people come into the presence of God, into the presence of their potential best friend, they're just going to be at ease. Like Ali encouraged us this morning and Ben talked about, just being at rest. We come into the presence of God. So I want to put out a challenge. Be someone who's always inviting people to church. Most people are not going to drive down Rusden Road and think to themselves, oh, I must go to church today. They will only come because somebody invited them. And most people that become Christian are because someone invited them. And there's a very good chance they'll say, with their RSVP, they'll say, yes, I'm coming. Thank you for the invite. And they come and they encounter. And listen, you're not responsible. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Just let the Holy Spirit touch them. Let the Holy Spirit change them. Let the Holy Spirit convict them. And if something weird happens, it's amazing how God, God can cover. God can cover his steps. He can cover us. And, and it can just be an experience for someone. So I just want to encourage us, be inviters. And they come and they hear, and now they have the chance to hear and to understand that God too can be their best friend. And God can change their whole world. But most unchurched people would never think about God being their best friend. There's a very good chance that people in the world are thinking this. God is angry at me. God doesn't even like me. I'm a terrible person. I could never be loved by God. He's unhappy about the way I live. And so on and so on and so on. And we know all of that is not true. We know that God loves. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You can't, there's no greater love than a father giving up his son and to see him hanging on a cross in torture, in agony for the sins of the whole world. But that's what God did. The world's concept of God is usually not right. They just can't, cannot comprehend a God that is loving, a God that is forgiving and a God that's accepting. 
But he is all of those. He's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. And he's an accepting God. He just loves people. He's a lover of people. God loves. God loves humanity. And Jesus is the hope for humanity. So our chance, our challenge rather, is to give everyone the chance that we have had to see God differently. We've got to give everyone the opportunity to see God as we have found him to be. Our shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, and the Lord is my best friend. He's my best friend and always, always, always will be. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. Next line. It says, I, the NIV says, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. The Passion Translation puts it like this. I always have more than enough. He's a God of more than enough. Your shepherd and your best friend will always make sure that you and I have more than enough. He's able to exceedingly abundantly bless us way more than we could ever ask or imagine. He's a giving God. He loves, he's a God who loves to give. A little secret. Let me give you a little secret this morning. When you're always thankful in everything in your life, always thankful, then you will find a contentment. And in that contentment, you'll find peace and you'll find rest. Now, the circumstance may not have changed. The issues may still be there. But in that place of having a thankful heart, to always thank God in every circumstance, in every situation, with that godly contentment in your life, you'll no longer be striving. And you know, when you strive for success, and when you strive to be accepted, and you strive to be loved, you're just a pain. Sorry to be blunt. But when someone can just relax and be themselves and just be at ease in who they are, people will learn to love you. <laughs> Marilyn's learned to love me. I was the most, you've heard me say it before, I was the most insecure person when I met her. I was so insecure and so struggling in my own identity and there was lots of reasons for that. Part of it was my childhood. Part of it was my perhaps lack of fathering. And there was issues that I was dealing with and traveling and being away from family and, and being homesick and lonely and all these issues. But then she came into my life and God had a plan and, and brought that security and that strength. But it took a long time for me to come to a place when I wouldn't overreact. And, when I just, and it wasn't probably till I turned 40 that I really found security in who I was. People say you go through a midlife crisis at 40. I went through a great season. I thought, wow, I'm 40. People are listening to me now. I feel secure. I feel safe. I feel protected. I feel blessed. It's great. And of course, when you get into your 60s, which are the new 40s, it's just fantastic. It's just <laughs> wonderful. I'm one year off 70. And I think I've never felt better. I've never felt fitter. never felt stronger. Age is just a number, right? And all the old people said, Amen. Amen. You've got to say that. Amen. I think, the great thing about, I think the great thing about Psalm 23 is this. That it shows us that it's not about our doing. 
It is found in our resting. Psalm 23 is not about our doing. It is found in our resting. And when you rest, when I talk about rest, we're not talking about doing nothing, but you're doing everything from rest. You're doing everything from a place of security. And so whatever you do out of your life comes out of a secure, strong believer that things may not have changed around you, but things have changed inside you. And when things change inside you, things change around you. But it's not until things change inside you that things change around you. So it's not about other people's battles, it's about your own battle in the sense of finding security, finding contentment, finding peace, finding rest. And Psalm 23, when you meditate upon it, it will do that for you. It will bring you peace. It will bring you into a place of great blessing. Verse 2, NIV says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Proof that he truly loves us. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. The Greek word for love is, of course, the word agape, which is a merging of two words, two concepts. Ago, A-G-O, means to lead like a shepherd, and payo, P-A-O, is a verb that means to rest. So you put it in its context, this verse, and it says, love is our shepherd leading us to the place of true rest in his heart. I love that. Love is our shepherd, leading us to the place of true rest in his heart. When you get into that place of true rest and you understand God's heart, that he is truly your best friend and your shepherd, you'll find that true rest, that, few, that beautiful place of patience and trust and guidance by the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, the Passion Translation reads like this. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. I love that word. You can make it as long as you want. Luxurious love. You know, you go to a place of luxury. You go to a five-star place and you just live it up. You know it's not going to be long, but you're going to enjoy the 24 hours in five-star luxury, as the English say, luxury. In a place of peace, in his luxurious love. In his place of, it's just luxury. It's just peace. It's just, we're loved by God. If we're loved by God, what else do we need? What does it matter if a man gains the whole world? It has everything he would want. It's in the love of God, the peace of God, and the quietness, and the no hurry, no hurry, 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 just peace and quiet. Because the NIV verse 2 said, He leads me beside quiet waters. No hurry. The Hebrew word, it's a Hebrew word, menua, which means the waters of a resting place. He brings us to the waters of a resting place. You know, I think it was the great Arnold Palmer, the great golfer that used to say, you just got to stop and smell the flowers. And in life, you just got to stop and breathe. And Marilyn will tell you that in my little life, in my little context of my life, sometimes I get a little bit mm, tense and mm, I get all, I'm running around the house singing and shouting and Kevin, and she'll say, breathe, <laughs> breathe, just breathe and relax. And you take those deep breaths and you just rest and you realize that 
you know, you don't have to run at a million miles an hour. You can just relax in the place of quiet waters, in that place of those waters of a resting place. You ever sat by a brook or sat by a river and sat by a stream and you just look into the water and you just look around and think, God, you're amazing. And you hear the kookaburras singing as they do at our house at 5.15 every morning. You can set your clock to it. There's a whole bunch of them. Apparently that they're territorial. And these kookaburras, they just, they just sing at 5.15. You look at your watch, it's 5.15 in the morning. The kookaburras are singing. It's, and, and there's just something about nature. There's something about just being alone with God and just breathing it in and just taking it in. The Passion Translation <laughs> describes it like this. His tracks take me to a, an oasis of peace. The quiet brook of bliss. Oh, I love that. I love the language of the Passion Translation. Remember, trust in him and he will direct your steps. You will walk in his will just naturally. You don't have to fight to know God's will. You'll just walk in God's will because you're resting in him. Verse 3, NIV, he refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. He causes my life or soul, the Hebrew word is nepesh, to return. He causes my life or soul to return. So often life drains out of us through our many activities. But David found that God restores our well-being by pursuing what pleases God. If we'll pursue what pleases God, what pleases God? Our faith. It's our faith that pleases God. It's not our striving. It's not our wrestling. It's our faith. It's our faith that says, I trust you, Lord. I don't quite know what's going on in this season. There's some things that I'd love you to fix. There's some things I'd love you to change. However, I'm trusting you. My faith pleases you. And I'm resting in you because you are faithful. You know, there's something really interesting about Psalm 23 and Psalm 19. Let me give it to you. David wrote both of these psalms when he was a teenager. He wrote both of these psalms when he was between 16 and 17 years of age. And that gives you some understanding of the understanding of David's heart. That he had spent all that time with his sheep away from humanity, his father would send him to, his, to the sheep. He would tend the sheep. And as a 16 or 17-year-old, he wrote Psalm 23 and Psalm 19. Let me just read one little aspect of Psalm. It's not going to come up on the screen. I haven't told the guys. But let me just read this to you from verse 7 of Psalm 19. It says, God's word is perfect in every way. This is the passion. God's word is perfect in every way. How it revives our souls. His laws lead us to truth. And his ways change the simple into wise. His teachings make us joyful and radiate his life. His precepts are so pure. His commands, how they challenge us to keep close to his heart. Psalm 23 and Psalm 19, can I suggest to you this morning that you read, you meditate, and perhaps even memorize, as I did in Sunday school, at least Psalm 23 
and possibly Psalm 19, because together when you read those two Psalms, 23 and 19, you'll find comfort, you'll find strength, you'll find encouragement, you'll find peace for your soul, you'll find rest for your soul. You'll enjoy the fact that God loves you as your best friend and also as your shepherd. Meditate, read it, meditate it, and memorize it so that you could be quoting that as you're driving your car in the middle of battles and storms. You can be quoting that because it's powerful. Verse 3, the Passion Translation. This verse summarizes that thought beautifully. It reads like this. Verse 3 in the Passion Translation. That's where he restores and revives my life. He restores and he revives my life. What life takes out of us, the energy and all that happens in a daily situation and daily life, when we come into God's presence, he restores and he revives our life. We get energized by the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, NIV, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. The right paths, not the wrong paths. You and I need to be on the right paths, but we don't need to strive. Because if we are doing what God's instructed us to do and do those things that please him, you and I will both be on the right path. Both of us will walk it out because we don't have to think, am I on the right path? You'll be on the right path because you want to please God. You're doing all those things to please him and you're honoring him and you're loving him. Verse 3, the passion says, he opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. What a beautiful thing to bring honor to his name. You know, we just bring honor to Jesus. Our life, our testimony brings honor to Jesus. You know, your life, as you exude the presence of God and live it out, Monday to Saturday, as you live it out, people will see around you They'll, so, they'll say there's something different about them. There's something different about you. And it's the presence of God that just brings that peace, that brings that strength, and it just causes his power to work in you. I love, you know, it, it, in the, it, there's like this, it talks about the sheep at Israel. It talks about the circular paths of righteousness. It was a common trait for sheep in the hillsides of Israel to circle their way up higher. Now, it's a lot easier to go to, when you look at a steep mountain, the better way to get up there is to go around and around. Because as you go gradually around and around, you're getting higher and higher. It's more difficult to go straight up the side of a mountain. But when you see a steep mountain, you decide, well, I'm gonna climb round and around. And the sheep in Israel tended to leave those tracks as they've circled. But as they've circled, they're getting higher. Sheep are interesting creatures. When we were in Henty a few weeks ago, um, we preached on this. I did a leadership Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And on the Monday, the pastor, Graham and uh, Kate Klemski, are farmers. They're sheep farmers. And so I said... In, in my you know, craziness, I had a crazy moment. I said, tomorrow, we won't drive home. We'll come and work with you with the sheep. Because I knew he was going to, what do you call it? Crutching, crutching 450 sheep. 
I had no idea what this meant. <laughs> and what this would look like. So we get the best old clothes we had, which wasn't much, and we went, jumped in the back of his ute, and Marilyn went in the other ute, and I was in the other ute, and, and then, but the day before, on Sunday, before I preached Sunday night, we had to round these sheep up, move them way down the street into another paddock. So I was on the quad bike and having fun whipping through the trees and rounded these sheep up, sheep, 450 sheep, taking them up the road into this paddock for Monday morning. I had no idea what we were up against. Marilyn... Her job was to separate the sheep from the lambs. So she had to open the gate, shut the gate, open the gate, shut the gate as they came through. Lambs in here, sheep down this trail here. Every now and again, a lamb would get into this and should have been over here. So it was my job to bend over and pick this lamb up and put him in this pen here. And then my other job was as they came to this thing, there was this machine where they, would, they had to walk up this rail, this run, and onto a platform, these Nomadic clamps would clamp their sides and then they would be tipped sideways. And when they were tipped sideways, then Graham would get his shears and, de- and, and clear their bums, excuse me. I know we're in church, but... And it was because the wool and the poo and the flies was messy. And so they cleaned up their bottoms. But it was my job... To get the she- so apart from lifting the sheep out, I had to get them along this run and then get them up onto this little run here where they came onto this platform and they knew what was coming. They were smart sheep. So they would get, I don't know, does sheep have knees? But anyway, the sheep got down like this and they refused to move. And so Graham said to me, just grab them by the bum, stick your hand there and stick them up there and they'll be in. They'll, they won't stay there. And I said, well, do I get a glove? <laughs> he said, no gloves, just grab them, just grab their bums and grab them by their head and boom, they'll be in there. Well, it worked. I never looked at my hand and, and 450 sheep later, I was exhausted. I thought, why did I do this? We should have driven home today. But I learned a lot about sheep that day. And one of the great things that Marilyn and I noticed, because what actually happened, 450 sheep, I don't know how many, there was a lot of lambs, and then we had to open up the gates when we'd finish at the end of the day, and the lambs were separated from their mothers. And so it was complete, I looked around, it was just complete chaos. And the amount of noise that was coming from the mother and the lambs was amazing. But you know what? The mother recognized the sound of the lamb and they connected. You can see mothers connecting with their lambs right across this paddock. It was, I just sat and beheld it. I thought, wow, all we like sheep have gone astray. God reckons us to be like sheep. And I'm thinking, God calls us sheep. And I look at these things and it's, thinking, it's amazing how the mother found the lambs. It wasn't an amazing moment. We just watched all these sheep connect again with their lambs. So that was my farming experience. We're going back on the 15th of December to preach again, and I guess, goodness knows what we'll be doing this time. (laughs) But it sure was fun. The path of the righteous winds higher and higher. I love that. The scripture talks about the path of the righteous. You know, sometimes we feel like we're going around in circles. And in fact, I've even heard people preach. I've heard preachers preach that when you're going around in circles, you're being disobedient. 
and God wants to teach you it. No, I think we're, cli- we're climbing slowly. There's a, there's a sense of we're climbing higher and higher and higher and higher. Higher and higher. I love Proverbs 4.18. And it says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the key is to keep on walking. It's okay because your best friend and shepherd is with you. The Passion Translation said, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, deepest darkness, it is his, it is his path that you are on deep darkness. Listen to me. Deep darkness does not mean you have strayed off his pathway for you. You might think that or the devil might even confuse you by planting that thought in your head. But we go through tough times and God allows dark, those dark valley experiences because I think in those dark valley experiences, we actually learn the most. And we grow the most. I will fear no evil, verse 4 of NIV. I will fear no evil. The Passion Translation says, fear, listen to this, fear will not conquer me for you already have. I love that thought. Fear will not conquer me for God already has. He's got you. He's got your back. He's got your side. He's got you. He's got you in those dark valley experiences. He's with you. He'll never, the Bible says, he'll never leave you or forsake you. So when you go through a dark valley, it doesn't mean you've committed sin, as some Christians would have us believe, or somehow we're off the will of God, or it's all going wrong, God hasn't healed you because you're being disobedient. No. God is taking us through. He's in charge, and we're walking it out, and we're walking it through. He will be with us. Verse 4, NIV, for you are with me. I'm nearly done. The Passion Translation says, You remain close to me and lead it, lead me through all the way. He takes you through. He brings you through. He is your shepherd. He's your best friend. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Passion Translation reads, Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely because you are near. Never be lonely because you are near. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Passion translation, you become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. Of course, the oil is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. You know, the the enemy smells that fragrance of the Holy Spirit, and he runs away scared. You know why? Because he knows that smell. And when the presence of the Holy Spirit is on you, the enemy smells it, and you're walking it through, and he leaves you alone. He runs scared because the presence of God is stronger. And finally, verse 6, surely your goodness And your love will follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 6, the Passion Translation. So why would I fear the future? Why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. Your shepherd, your best friend, you have nothing to fear. Let me pray. Gracious Father, today we just love you and thank you for your glorious presence. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that when we read that psalm in its context and fully understand its meaning, and when we read Psalm 19 and we put those two psalms together, back to back, we see how, Lord, you love us, how you care about us, and how you're for us. So, Lord, I just thank you as reminded again today to be those ones that will just trust you and love you and just walk it out and be an example to those around us, Lord, of your magnificent peace, of your incredible presence that guides us and leads us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.